Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about a drone that can smell, why we call the dark ages dark, and how simple word swaps can secretly trick your brain. Let's satisfy some curiosity. What do you get if you cross a moth with a drone? A moan. Or a droth. Yeah. I like droth better. (laughs) Droth is way better. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, researchers at the University of Washington have actually spent years trying to figure this out. And their result is the smellicopter. Not as good as droth, but we'll give them a pass. (laughs) The smellicopter is a small drone outfitted with a literal, honest-to-goodness moth antenna attached to electrical wires. Those wires transmit signals from the antenna to the drone's onboard computer. The computer uses that data to help guide the smellicopter's four tiny rotors as the device finds and follows a scent to its source. How snazzy is that? The researchers behind the project decided to use a genuine moth antenna because, well, moths are really good at smelling. Sensors designed by human engineers simply can't touch the high levels of sensitivity that moths have developed over millions of years of evolution. A moth antenna contains special cells that amplify chemical signals. Even a single scent molecule can trigger a cascade of changes in a moth's sensory cells, all with blistering speed and efficiency. Sensitivity is important because of the way scent spreads through time and space. The cloud of molecules we detect as a smell flows through the air in what's called a plume. Think smoke coming off a campfire. The fire would be the source and the smoke particles would be the scent molecules. Smoke is highly concentrated close to the fire, but it disperses really quickly as it gets farther away. Some smoke particles will travel for a long time, but good luck using your nose to find a campfire that's two miles away. The same thing happens with all kinds of scents. Even if they're intense at the source, the plume is quickly diluted in the air, and that leaves scent molecules scattered across a large area. That makes it hard for a human sensor to find the source of gas leaks, explosive chemicals, or disaster survivors by scent. But a moth sensor? No problem. The team started with an open-source quadcopter designed to let users add their own sensors. Then they put some Manduka Sexta hawk moths in the fridge to anesthetize them before removing an antenna and attaching it to the drone. Aw. Once removed from the moth, the antenna remains usable for about four hours. That may not sound like much, but it's actually longer than the drone's battery lasts. The researchers hope that in the future, scientists could use genetic engineering to design moth antennae that are specifically tuned for particular scents. So, who knows? The next time there's a disaster, Smellicopter may just save the day. If you've ever described a friend that wasn't very good with technology as living in the dark ages, then this story is for you. Because there's a great big myth about the so-called dark ages, and that's that they were actually dark. As in backwards. A period of intellectual decline, as it were. Well, in fact... The Dark Ages weren't really dark at all. So people use the terms Dark Ages and Middle Ages interchangeably, but they're not really the same thing. The Middle Ages spanned a thousand years, from 500 to 1500 CE. Historians usually divide that millennium into three periods, the Early, High, and Late Middle Ages. 
The term Dark Ages actually refers to the early Middle Ages, which followed the fall of the Roman Empire. At that point, various Germanic groups went to war over territory and replaced the Roman way of doing things with their own. Renaissance historians declared those years dark because they viewed ancient Greece and Rome as the pinnacle of human achievement. So, those Germanic folks were automatically less accomplished or enlightened by comparison. That's still what Dark Ages implies today. Seems the Greek and Roman empires were a very tough act to follow. But another reason historians deemed those years dark was because of the rise of Christianity. The church became the most powerful force in Europe after the Roman Empire fell. Scholars believed clergy discouraged intellectual study in favor of religion. But many early Christian monks funded medieval artists and encouraged learning and literacy. Reading and writing were revolutionized under medieval emperor Charlemagne with the invention of a standard handwriting script that had cases, punctuation, and spaces between words. And even if the church did slow down certain areas of progress in Western Europe, the Islamic world was busy leaning into those areas, doing stuff like inventing Arabic numerals and algebra. Kind of a big deal. The early Middle Ages produced important agricultural innovations too. Medieval farmers invented the heavy plow and horse collar, which made farming more efficient. Food surpluses allowed farmers to develop other skills, like selling goods, and that led to the collapse of feudalism. And that, plus the invention of the printing press in 1440, catapulted the world into the early modern period. Historians today prefer using Middle Ages over Dark Ages, but even that term isn't perfect. A classical scholar gave it that name at the turn of the 18th century to encapsulate the time between the classical period and when he lived. So even the term Middle Ages reduces the period to a placeholder. But hopefully, now that you've heard about the Middle Ages' achievements, you'll think of it more as the underappreciated age. And I didn't even get into, like, Merlin and all the spells, but that's a different thing. <laughs> Words have power. I mean, think about it. Which is worse, getting dumped or breaking up? Would you rather have a product with 95% effectiveness or with a 5% failure rate? Which is more dangerous, global warming or climate change? These are perfect demonstrations of the framing effect, the way that small word swaps can alter your decisions. To see how this works, just take this thought experiment that was used in a 2006 study. Imagine you've just been given $50. You can either gamble that money and see what you get with it, or choose to not gamble and instead lose $30. Which would you choose? Okay, what if instead your options were to gamble or to keep $20? In that study, 62% of participants chose to gamble with the money if the other option was to lose $30, but only 43% of people chose to gamble if the other option was to keep $20. That is, of course, despite the fact that in both scenarios, not gambling leaves the participant with $20. That's the framing effect in action. Setting up a question in a way that makes someone think about losing something will bring them to a different decision than if the question made them think about keeping something. In another study from 1981, college students had to decide what to do about a theoretical disease outbreak that was expected to kill 600 people. They were more likely to choose a treatment plan that would save 200 people than one where 400 people would die. Again, 
same outcome, different framing. The framing effect has real consequences in everyday life. Should a driver be punished less if their car contacted another car than if it smashed another car? Are you more likely to buy a product that costs $30 or the same product that costs $50 but comes with a $20 gift card? We make hundreds of decisions every day, and it's important to be aware of how easily those decisions are manipulated. Let's wrap up with a quick recap, starting with the fact that researchers created a smellicopter by attaching literal moth antennae to drones, because moths are really good at smelling. And someday drones like this could do things like help find explosive chemicals or find gas leaks or disaster survivors. The sky's the limit. Quite literally, because they fly. Yeah, the way that they find disaster survivors. I was really curious about this because it's like, what, do they they smell their sweat or something? No, it's just the CO2 in their breath. That's, that's what they detect, which is cool. Yeah. And we learned that the Dark Ages weren't really that dark. They just get a bad rap because they came after ancient Roman and Greek empires fell. And, you know, those empires were pretty awesome. According to Renaissance historians, those were pretty much the pinnacle of human achievement. NBD. But a lot of stuff happened in the Middle Ages. And, uh, you know, we should appreciate that. And Cody and I were chatting about this. There's another reason that is sometimes pointed to for why they're called the Dark Ages. And this may have actually come about later, but it's that historians don't actually have that many records from that time. Although, you know, clearly we have enough records to know that they weren't actually that dark. So who knows? Wow. Darkception. (laughs) And we also learned that the framing effect says you're more likely to decide on an option with a positive spin than a negative one even if the outcome is exactly the same. So, food, big one, right? Like when I buy turkey meat, it's got to be 93% lean, not 7% fat, right? So, stuff like that. That is a big one, yeah. I find it really interesting to think about the term global warming and climate change. There's this wonderful book called Merchants of Doubt. It's all about how the same people actually formulated the lobbying efforts for the tobacco industry and for the industries that were against climate change legislation and all sorts of other things. And during that anti-climate change effort, that is when the term climate change actually was coined. Before it was global warming, but warming sounds scarier than change. Oh, it's just a change. And they've succeeded in putting that into the public lexicon. Wow. So why don't we just call it global warming? I mean, I, I try to. It's it's so common now that it's just, you know, I, I feel like it's uh, it seems like that ship has sailed. Wow. Yeah. I, I just thought it was like not the scientifically accurate thing. Right. Like scientists somewhere made some decision like, well, it's not really global warming. So climate change is more accurate. But that's not it at all. It's just marketing. Yeah. It's just marketing. Wow. It's framing. Absolutely. Today's stories were written by Grant Curran, Steffi Drucker, and Ashley Hamer, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in about 50 minutes less than an hour. (laughs) That sounds very long. Okay, well then, (laughs) just do it and you'll learn something new in just a few minutes. How's that? Perfect. And until then, stay curious. 